Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. Whether you're running small meetups or large conferences, exhibitions, or concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. The podcast is sponsored by our ticketing system, Events Frame. Make the switch from Eventbrite today with our fantastic system with no ticket fees. We've got great integration with all the main payment methods, Stripe, PayPal, or Braintree. And we've got email integrations with most of the email marketing systems, such as MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and many more. We've got thousands of live events with customers hosting events from small community meetups to large trade shows and conferences. And Events Frame is especially good for anyone wanting to run multiple events. Check it out today for a free one-month trial. And if you send me an email at dan, D-A-N, at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, I'll give you a special secret discount code. So on to today's interview. This was with a guy called Jason Moore, who I've been acquainted with for quite a while, although we've never met in person, because he's got two really good podcasts. One is called Zero to Travel, uh, and one is called Location Indie Podcast. And it's a real interest of mine, you know, the whole location-independent business movement. And Jason was fascinating. After college, he started off working with experiential marketing, which honestly was something I'd never heard before, but it's basically marketing agencies run events to promote products and services. And it could be something as small as the person in the supermarket, you know, promoting a certain product. Through to running large roadshows, he was running drug awareness roadshows across the US. He was running international ones. Obviously, you know, you see the Red Bull cars and things around. But a lot of these events are quite big uh, and, and they run tours. So it's fascinating. He never wanted to get a regular job. He started off running these uh, events. Through this, he became the tour manager for an up-and-coming rock band, which was really interesting. He started a few businesses, and, and he always kept the thread of events going through what he did. So now he runs a membership community, and he has meetups. Wherever he goes, he runs meetups. And he also ran a conference in the U.S., and he's doing it again in Mexico. So really, events have driven everything uh, Jason's done. But it's just really interesting to see somebody's entrepreneurial journey, because I've talked about it before, but there's often kind of a a narrative fallacy where a successful entrepreneur will kind of say, I'm here today and these are all the stages that got me here. Whereas if you look at most entrepreneurs, the actual background is a lot of false starts, twists and turns, and it's not kind of a linear progression. And Jason talks about all the different things he's done, which I think will resonate with a lot of people. So it was a really fun chat. We talked for over an hour. So settle down and listen to the interview with Jason. Hello and welcome to the events podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Jason Moore, who I've come across online uh, quite a few times. He's got a couple of podcasts that I, that I know about, uh, Zero to Travel, which is a great podcast with kind of travelers and location independent entrepreneurs and digital nomads and stuff. And then one called Location Indie, which he does with another guy. So Jason, great to be talking to you. Thanks for having me on. And I mean, you just got me fired up when you said the word events because... I'm super passionate about events. <laughs> yeah, it's, so I'm really yeah. excited to be here and chat with you. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, let's um, talk a bit about your background because, like I said, you've got a couple of podcasts. You've also got at least one community of um, of kind of location independent business people, and you run a bunch of events, but and you also do some experiential marketing for events, which I want to get into. What does, what does that mean? So it'd be great just to get a bit of a a background of, of what your background is and, and then talk about what you're doing at the moment, I guess. 
So, let's, yeah. so should we start off with you know how you started this whole traveling lifestyle and, and what you did first? Yeah, sure. Uh, because it it's, it's ties in with events, and uh, at the time I didn't know it was going to be a traveling lifestyle, Dan. I just I just thought, yeah. uh, hey, here's this funky job that lets me go to a different city every week. I was coming out of college. I had like twenty thousand plus dollars in debt, and yep. I just wanted to travel. I was trying to save up for the traditional backpacking trip through Europe that a, a lot of post-college grads, at least in the U.S., take. Or not, maybe not a lot, but you know, it's something that I heard about. I, I heard that other people had done it, and when I talked to them, I had gotten really excited seeing friends' pictures and just getting really excited about the possibility of being able to travel through Europe. It sounded so exotic, and it was really at that time my mindset was so limited, man. It was I grew up outside of Philadelphia. It was kind of like, oh, okay, I went to college. Maybe I'll get to do a trip, like this backpacking trip through Europe or, or some kind of a traveling thing. And then, of course, after that, I'm going to have to, using air quotes here, Dan, go into the real world, right? Because you're not allowed to just keep traveling and have fun, right? That's not like an option. At least I didn't know it was an option at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm from England. And, and in England, there's a pretty well-trodden path that you – I mean, a lot of people, like a, a decent percentage of your friends are going to do a year out. It's called a year out after university. And, and it's interesting because Canadians, New Zealanders, Australians, South Africans, they all do the same thing. Americans, not so much, you know. But, yeah. but you basically, if, you, if you're British, you, you do it. You go to Asia for three months, you know, including like India, Nepal, you know, Thailand, Bali, probably. You go to Australia for a year where you get your working holiday maker visa for the year. You work there for a year. Then you come back through South Pacific and America, and like everyone does the same thing. I mean, probably like probably a third of my friends from university did that exact same trip, you know. Right. And Americans don't seem to do that that much, you know. They maybe do a European trip, or it's you know it's not as much of a thing for Americans. Maybe because of the debt, the college debt is is the reason, I guess. Ah. Uh- I think there are a variety of reasons. You know, you're talking about the gap year. What did you say you guys called it in the UK? We, the well, year after? When I did it, it was like a year out or ga- yeah, year gap out. year, people okay. call it. Um, yeah. Yeah, year, year out we would call it, I guess. Same thing. It's, it's in those cultures that you mentioned. And for some reason, it is lacking in the culture in the States. And I think one of the reasons is the, the big one you mentioned is the college debt and all, all of the issues surrounding that. And I, what are the other reasons? I don't know. I mean, there's some, at least growing up for me, I think I feel like there is some kind of underlying pressure to keep things moving forward in terms of a career path, right? Whatever that's supposed to mean. There's this yeah. idea of, okay, you're supposed to get on this ladder and climb it and we can use all the cliches in the world, but I think everybody gets what I mean. And I don't know if it's a combination of that with the debt and some cultural influences, maybe you know, older generations weren't traveling as much and, you know, maybe some immigrants were coming to America for a better life. And then the idea was to be there and build that. Um, there's a variety of backgrounds and reasons. Uh, America is a very eclectic country as you know, but, um, but coming out of that whole melting pot, there is not a gap year culture, which is interesting because there's so much freedom and free thinking in America. And you see how much art and, um, great pop culture and music and different things comes out of there. But sure. it's the, but then like when it comes to this sort of free spirited travel ideal, it, it's kind it's not non-existent. It certainly exists, but like you said, it, it's not there. So I didn't have a template for that. And I was coming out in the late nineties and I didn't have, there weren't all these travel blogs and different things and podcasts and all that stuff either. So 
to me, it was a pretty sort of scary thing to do, but an exciting thing. Um, so I just wanted to save up money for this trip and I started applying for travel jobs cause I thought, well, instead of just, you know, getting a job waitering, maybe I should try to find some kind of traveling job, whatever the hell that meant. Yeah, yeah. Unbeknownst to me, there's an entire industry called experiential marketing or event marketing that's essentially having an experience with a brand. So brands will put together, whether it's a sampling program where they're handing out free samples in the street, everybody's experienced that you're in a yep. big city and all of a sudden you have a, you know, a pack of, I don't know, peppermint throat, you know, lozenges in your so, hand. Somebody's giving out or Red Bull, I guess is one that people know a lot, um, to, you know, more elaborate type events where it's, you know, it's a brand sponsor and there's, you know, a multitude of different interactive things you can do. You see that might see that big sporting games. Like you can go and try to kick the soccer ball through the net and this is sponsored by Telenor or whatever. So that whole industry I had no idea about. I got faxed a tour schedule to do this charity event for kids. It was a race against drugs. It was to benefit drug prevention charities. And we were going to a different city every week setting up a racetrack in Kmart parking lots. Wow. <laughs> if you don't know what a uh, Kmart is, it's like Walmart. And we would set up this obstacle course and kids would race modified lawn tractors with the blades removed, obviously, yeah. uh, around this race course. And we would manage this whole event. So essentially we were glorified carnies. That's what we ended up calling ourselves yeah. <laughs> at some point. But we got to tour around and set up this event and see all these different cities. And I did an eight month tour and I was able to save money. You know, I think I was making 500 bucks a week and about 30 bucks a day per diem. And I was like, Oh my God, like the money's pouring in. This is spectacular. <laughs> how, how are you, you know? traveling? Did you have like a tour bus or something? Or were you um, living, sleeping well, in a bus or paying for hotels? Or how does that work? I have done that before over many years of touring, but on that particular one, they had two semi trailers full of equipment and they gave us what was called a chase vehicle, which was just a van. And there were three of us on tour and then we would have local volunteers and help that we would manage yeah. at each location. So we would dr travel in the van and just get a hotel and kind of do our work schedule. And then in our free time, just explore these cities. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, wow, this money's rolling in. Uh, I don't have to pay for gas. I don't have to pay for a place to live. I'm saving up money. This is the coolest thing ever. So after that, I found out there's this whole industry. I started networking, got a couple more gigs. And then I did the solo backpacking trip to Europe the following summer. Then that opened my world to like, you mentioned there's all these people traveling and I, I started chatting with people and hostels and realizing, wow, people are doing this and they're just not going home after four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever. They're doing it for a year. Some of them have been on the road for years. And then I started kind of thinking, why can't I just keep kind of doing this? I keep touring and then yeah, save yeah. some money and travel. And this seems like a cool thing. And, oh, maybe it goes against you know, having a traditional career, but let me just kind of follow this for a while because I'm having fun. And I didn't know that that was going to turn into a decade of living nomadically and touring. <laughs> Interesting. Like, it's, it's really fascinating. I got a funny story. It's, it's fascinating this whole the tour you did because when I was 20 or 21, I went, I went, I went to America for the summer. There was, there's a thing called the British University's North America Club, and you could get like um, a, a summer a summer visa. I don't know H11B or something. I don't know oh, yeah. what it was, but you get this. You know, you go to New York and you have like an orientation for a few days, and you get this summer working visa. And me and my friend, we had this like, I this like what we thought was an amazing idea. Like we'd get to New York and we'd we'd get on a tour for like Guns N' Roses or something, and we'd just tour <laughs> the U.S. and that would be how we'd spend our summer. You know, it'd be the perfect plan. We'd make some money. We'd tour with a cool band. And it was like, we, just had, we did no preparation. So we turned up in New York 
And we've like found one record company. I think it was actually Geffen Records, which was Guns N' Roses record label. Uh, and then we got there and we went to the reception and, and we were like, yeah, we want to be a roadies. And the woman was like, yeah, I can't help you. She just looked at us like disparaging. They didn't even take our numbers down. And we're like, okay, I guess this plan is not going to work very well. But if I'd have known about what you did, maybe we could have tried to do something like that. That's probably a bit more realistic. But you know what? That's so great that you guys just went that far even. You know, yeah, to, well, we to did. Well, it, it worked out in the end. We, we, we went to down to Ocean City, Maryland, and we worked on a beach there. And then we just traveled around, you know. And back then, they used to have this thing called the Delta Pass, which was super cheap. It was for foreigners. And I think it was, I think it was $300 for a month. And you could fly anywhere in America for that month on standby. But you almost always got on the flight. Because if there was only one or two of you, crazy deal. Like, I, don't, I guess they probably didn't do it anymore. <laughs> and uh, we just traveled all around. Guys- we just flew around the whole country, like, for a month. It was crazy. That's awesome. I bet yeah. if you guys went to enough record companies in New York, you probably would have got something like, yeah. I, I wish there's something about that youthful exuberance and that cavalier attitude where you're just like, oh yeah, we're just going to show up in the United States and we're going to yeah. get on tour with Guns N' Roses. That, that's exactly, that was exactly what we happen. thought. And it was just, and, but we gave, we gave it up pretty quick though. That was the bad thing about it. We got one rejection <laughs> and we were like, oh, it's not going to work. <laughs> but I, I love that. I mean, that's definitely something I think you could, I, I think more people should do later in life, right? Yeah. Just kind of have that, hey, why not? Just yeah. give it a go. I mean, somebody's got to do that job. Somebody's got to be the merch guy for Guns N' Roses, Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, yeah. I mean, probably we should have <laughs> aimed a bit lower. But anyway, cool. Let's get back to your story. So you did this you did this tour and you were looking to travel more. Is that right? After you did this kind of round the US, um, you know, a drug, drug awareness thing? Yeah. Again, I think I was still kind of like, oh, wow, well, this is still going to be one of those once in a lifetime deals. I, you know, and then I slowly... I got really interested in the idea of continuing to tour. So then I made it a point to start meeting people. And that's when I found a couple other shorter contracts. And then I did the, the tour, uh, the travel, the solo travel backpacking trip through Europe for a couple months that next summer. And then, you know, by then I was just hooked on the touring yeah. lifestyle. I'm like, well, I'll just keep touring. I'll just keep finding gigs. And then I will take my time off in between whatever contracts I have and travel overseas. So, so to you all got, you got work. So was all your work in the U S or did you get like, do they, did this kind of, does this work work for like, like, you know, multiple country tours or is it always just U S related stuff you did? It was U S related. We did have, I did do a gig in Mexico, uh, once for a month or during spring break. That was another story, but, um, <laughs> that sounds like a good story. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did a summer, working as an adventure travel tour guide. I just wanted to try different touring jobs. I did, um, I did end up working as a tour manager for a rock band and doing that whole thing. I went on tour with them and we did a van tour through Canada. We lived on the bus and did a, you know, played shows all over the U S and did like a fall tour with them. So, uh, I got to have all of these different touring experiences that yeah, that's, can I just ask about, can I jump in? How did you get that? Like, I'm curious, how did you get a job? How did you in a situation where you were a tour manager for a rock band? Yeah. So I was hired to buy a marketing company. So a lot of uh, people that were the, the entities that were running these experiential marketing tours were marketing companies and they yes. would execute them for brands. So Got it. people would show up and see, oh, okay, here's, you know, this Bacardi experience going on, but it wasn't run by Bacardi. It was run by an experiential marketing agency who put together all the logistics, built all these custom event pieces and hired us to go out and put this stuff together and make this show happen. So Bacardi did this music show uh, and they wanted to have different artists and it was a, it was a music experience where it was a concert essentially, but we had other 
experiential marketing elements that were a part of that experience. So we were the touring crew. So we kind of fell into this music tour. So it was like a hybrid tour, right? It was experiential marketing meets music. And they decided to make me the talent liaison guy. So I was responsible for coordinating with the other tour managers as like sort of a hospitality person to make sure the artists got to and from the show, kind of get them to the stage to be sure they were getting on there on time and just coordinating everything. And I just started getting to know some of them. And, you know, this art, these artists in particular, Matt and Kim, they're a two piece band out of Brooklyn. And, um, yeah, they just, Kim asked me one day backstage, she's like, do you tour manage bands? And I was like, my, I started getting shivers up my spine cause I was like, Oh my God, I'd love to work with these guys. This would be awesome because it looked so fun what they were doing. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, well, how do I, what do I do? How do I do yeah. that? And uh, I'm sure I can do it cause I do all these other big events. <laughs> so she gave me her manager's number, this amazing guy, Kevin, who's been working in music for years, he's got the best stories. And, uh, but he's just such a heart, like they were the nicest couple, just super pleasant and sweet and fun. And then Kevin, like one of the nicest, coolest dudes, but like on the surface, just a hard ass, just yeah, like yeah. so intense, like intimidating is the yeah. word. Like if you ever meet somebody where they're just like, you're just totally intimidated by them yeah, yeah. and you just think you get in their presence and you're, you're almost afraid to talk to them. And I'm, that's not many people that I, I feel that way about. And, um, and he, he was one of them. So I, I called him up and he just seemed slightly irritated and kind of, uh, like whatever. I I think I talked to him for about five minutes and he's just like, no, you don't have enough experience for this. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on. And then I proceeded to talk his ear off for about 15 minutes, I think. And then I, he just takes a breath and he goes, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. And he was thinking it over. And then he called me. He's like, all right, we're going to give you a shot. So I ended up going on tour with them and there are a bunch of stories around that tour too, but, um, it was just such a great experience and I'm glad the music touring kind of came at the end of my touring career because when you're, you would have known if you went out with guns and roses, Dan, you you don't get much time to explore cities. You know, you kind of roll in, you set up, you do your sound check, you have dinner, you play the, they play the show, you're there doing whatever you can. You work till three, four in the morning, pack up, roll off to the next town and do it all again. Yeah, it's so. interesting. I mean, I've, I've kind of, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm super into the music scene anyway. And I've done a little bit of promotional. I actually want to do more of it, but I'm, it's just, I've just been too busy to really focus on it. Too many things going on, you know. But yeah, um, yeah the, the bands I've been involved in, which have been on kind of a lower level, bands with record deals, but I mean, oh, that's changing nowadays. But, you know, small bands, it's, it's just what you said, you know, they, you, they play this show, they pack up, they drive through the night, they get there, they, they arrive in the morning, generally, it depends where they, you know, in Prague, you know, they're generally traveling, probably from Vienna, they go to somewhere in Germany, Munich or Berlin, and then, you know, they park up, get a few more hours sleep, and then sound check, walk around for a couple of hours, do the show, I mean, so, so they might get a couple of hours in the afternoon, you know, to really look around, right. but not always, you know, sometimes it's like, they don't even get time to sound check if it's a long drive. Totally, and, and it was just, such a great experience though. All that aside, I think if I'd done that for years, like you can see how people get burnt out, but we're all kind of fresh. So we walk into a venue and, uh, you know, there's all these disgruntled, you know, people that have seen show after show for years and years, whatever. We're all jolly coming in and, uh, you could see how our, and they were such a great people. You could see how their mood and their energy or whatever they vibe they put off and just our entire crew would even, even the most disgruntled roadies, at, uh, or venue workers would kind of get 
perked up a little, I think, yeah, yeah, after our cool. shows. It was just great to be around. So when uh, I got offered to kind of keep touring with them on like a world tour, this kind of segues into the next part of my yeah, life yeah. in a way, even though it took some years. But I decided uh, I was kind of done touring in a way and so, i wanted so they to offered you they offered you a world tour and you, you decided not to do it is that right yeah they oh, wow. they offered to have me keep touring with them and i uh i, I thought it was going to be a no-brainer at first because it was like well, who doesn't want to go on a world tour with a rock band that's up and coming they had done the mtv music awards at that point we'd done like talk shows and different things had a lot of cool experiences play coachella all this stuff and uh, it was just so cool and fun to be around and um, really got a lot of good feelings around being a part of a show that gave people a lot of joy. And yep. even if I was a small part, you know, it's still nice to be a part of. I love that about events. You're there connecting with people and it's it's all happening right there in the sure. moment. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, when I decided to kind of go back to Colorado and just figure out what I was going to do next – it was so much fuel, Dan, because I, I was like, I gave up going on a world tour with a band, even though it would have been a lot of work, would have been an incredible experience. I have to do something awesome. Yeah. You know, I've been doing all, seeing, meeting all these amazing artists, seeing all these great shows, you know, doing all these things all around the world over the last 10, 15 years of my life or whatever it was at the time, I guess 15 years. I can't not do something. I can't just do something plain. You know, I, I just can't like I I was too wired up. I, I, so it was a really good fuel for me because I, I always wanted to start my own thing. But I think at the time when I was touring and saving up money and traveling around, I didn't really want the responsibility. I kind of wanted to just have the travel experiences. And now I was getting to a point in my life where I was ready to start something and do more creative work in uh, in my job and yeah. you create create things, basically. So that was a lot of fuel for me. Right. So what was what was the next step then? What what did you do? what was your next move? Well, you know, being an entrepreneur looks like a play of spaghetti, right? People like imagine imagine it like a straight line where you just kind of maybe there's little squiggles here and there. It was just a whole mess of. It's interesting because to... I actually gave a talk about this something called the Founder Institute, and I got there was a topic was transitioning from employee to entrepreneur. Was in pro I'm actually talking on another one of our events tonight actually, but it was interesting because it was just a few people come and share their entrepreneurial story, and and my whole thing was like. It's just, I'm going to tell you the truth because it's, people have this narrative fall fallacy where they're, they're at a certain point, right? Like now you're, you're at a certain point with these podcasts that have, and you know, certain things that you've got a profile and you could tell like a story that showed everything led, one thing led to another, led to another. And it was like this straight line of success. Right. If you look at most entrepreneurs, it's like full starts. People go back and get a job. This messes up. Then, you know, it, it's like my, and my entrepreneurial story is like, it's so complicated when I try to tell it. I can simplify it to make it sound good, but the re reality is it's all over the place, you know? Right. That's why I love podcasting because you get to yeah. talk to people and you get, exactly. kind of, you get down to the heart of it. They don't have those three-minute media spots where everybody, you know, it's like an episode of the Brady Bunch or your favorite sitcom, whatever. It all gets tied up in a nice bow at the end, Yeah. but that's not the way reality is. And anybody yeah. out there that's listening that has tried or is thinking about trying probably has listened to enough podcasts to know that. So. Yeah, it was the same with me. I mean, I went back to Colorado. I was in a long-term relationship, but we broke up, and that was a really hard part of my life. At the same time, I was working an outside sales gig for a liquor company. I was also doing some marketing contracts before then where I was out at bars at, at night handing out free drinks and things, like something I was not excited about doing at all. Um, just trying to figure out how to make the transition from being on the road 
and living nomadically to being in one place and finding work that I enjoyed and also starting something that I was excited about that I could But it sounds like you weren't very money-focused. You know? It sounds like you didn't do what most people did, what I did, in fact, in the early days. Just go and get a job, you know, find a good graduate training scheme. You know, you, you knew you wanted just to go out, do, meet people, have fun, travel. Like, you didn't seem like you had any interest in getting, like, a regular job. Not really at that point, but I – and I was fortunate because of the way touring works. You, Like I said before, you are able to save money because you're not paying a mortgage. You're yeah. not paying for gas. You're not – all the regular expenses that people have – you're are covered because you're living on the road and they're paying for it. Yeah. So whether you're living on a tour bus or in hotels or whatever, it's not out of your pocket. So you're able to basically spend your per diem and save most of your salary. And you add that up over some years. So that allowed me to, you know, be able to buy a condo and a place yeah, that yeah. I loved and, um, you know, still have regular life things, even though I thought, at the, I think when I started, I thought, well, if I go down this path, you know, I see all my friends climbing this corporate ladder. I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, with touring, I mean, it did top out. And that was one of the other reasons I knew I needed to move on because not because I needed to climb something, but I'd kind of, you learn so much, but then I had, was starting to get repetitive lessons, you know, and, and yeah. when you're a tour manager, that's kind of as high as you can go. I mean, you can tour manage bigger things, but bigger things are more of a pain in the ass. Yeah. Too, you that's know? true. So I just want to not always that much more money as well. That's the thing. Things like yeah. I mean, you could you, if you're like a tour manager for U2 or some maybe some bigger bands. You, you know, those guys and gals can make really really good livings. Um, but that's a, it's also I just didn't want to. Yeah, I just wanted to create something and do something on my own. But it took many more years to kind of get that going as well. I so mean, what, I think, what was your first what was your first entrepreneurial venture then? What was the first thing you did that wasn't kind of working for someone else? Oh, uh, I tried a bunch of things, but I think I had some pretty heavy imposter syndrome. So if things started <laughs> happening, I sort of tapered off. I remember well, it used to be pretty hard to get websites online too. It yeah. wasn't as easy as it is now. I somehow I got a website up and pieced together some logo for a green events company. That was something I was going to do. And nobody was really doing it. So I actually started getting some inquiries. Uh, which was weird. I don't know how. And then I kind of was like, well, wait a minute. I don't know. What, I don't think I want to do this. Um, then I had this idea for a, an app because I was working in the uh, spirits industry. So I thought, well, there should be an app that tells you like where the best happy hours are all the time. I'm sure there is one now. I was going to call it happy hour. <laughs> so I put together this Thanks, whole buddy. spreadsheet. I was going to do like Denver Boulder and kind of test market that area and then try to do a nationwide thing. So I Met some guy at a startup meetup, and he was an app designer, and he was supposed to build it, but he kind of built the beginning stages of it. And then I sent him, I did like three weeks of work on the spreadsheet, and then he just didn't hold up his end. And so instead of finding somebody else, I just kind of gave it up. So yeah. I was doing, you know, what a lot of entrepreneurs do, which is just sort of floundering around. Sure. But I'd always had this idea. I, it got me really excited when people would ask me, about travel and they would ask me either for advice or different things. I really loved sharing advice that could help people travel if it was something they wanted to do. If they expressed interest in doing it and wanting to figure out how to do it and and change their lives so they could do it, that got me really excited and it's something that always got me excited. So I kind of so went how, back how to Have you traveled event. much at this stage? I mean, obviously you're based in Colorado. So have you, have, you, have you kind of done trips or have you lived abroad at this point? Well, this is like, yeah, after 15 years of touring and yeah. traveling overseas and I basically all I'd done was travel yeah, for yeah, yeah. 15 years. So 
I got really excited about the idea of starting a podcast or doing starting something, writing a book or doing something that was geared towards helping people travel. And that's when Zero to Travel was born. And then I'd been talking about a podcast for a while and somebody in my mastermind, I owe her a big credit. She's, she was finally like, dude, you've been talking about doing this podcast thing for like a year and a half. Just freaking do it already. Yeah. <laughs> so... So I did, and that was over five years ago at the time of this recording. So now that's fascinating. Can I obviously I want to get some free podcast consulting off you out of this call. <laughs> what uh, did you like? How long did it take you to really get get traction with the podcast? And did you do like a weekly publishing schedule, or did you just keep it ad hoc in the beginning? In the beginning, I was doing every other week, but then I realized quickly I need to do weekly because yeah iTunes features you on, no, if you get lucky, they feature on new and noteworthy, and then you're able to pick up new subscribers and build your base. Um, I was really fortunate because I, I think in retrospect, I came out of the gates pretty strong because I did get featured. There was nobody really doing a podcast like mine in the travel space. Sure. It was resonating. It was like this perfect confluence of, you know, things happening. And I remember just kind of being blown away that, oh my gosh, like 300 people listen to this episode. This yeah. is, yeah, this is, great. this is like a real thing. This is, there's people out there listening to this. This is crazy. And I just started it just for the passion of sharing all the conversations I had traveling around the world with travelers that add value to my life and thinking, wow, if people that wanted to travel could hear this, if we were able to share these conversations, then this could really help people. Sure. And that was the idea. There was no business agenda with starting the podcast. It was more of just sharing cool things and um, certainly it would be part of Zero to Travel and I wanted to build some kind of presence online, but I wasn't super strategic about, I'm going to use this podcast to deepen my relationship with, you know, people that are, you know, it was just like really from the heart, like I want to do this thing to share these conversations and to help people. So. Yeah, cool. So, so, so this was so this was a side project, and you're still doing the experiential marketing stuff, I guess. Did did you did you transition the podcast into, into a business in terms of doing coaching and a community and things like that? Was that the next step? Okay, well, yeah, I, I kind of skipped one big thing. So, the first uh-huh. online business I had that actually made me money was for the experiential marketing industry. Uh, it was a website I had called Event Exchange, and basically. There are all these custom vehicles and custom equipment that's built for these experiential marketing tours. And I always kind of hated the waste that was involved. And I also thought, wow, some of these vehicles, like there's a, tr- there's a truck that somebody spent a million dollars turning into a stage and, um, you know, setting up these, these displays and all these things. And they go on tour for two or three years. And then it's just sitting in what I would refer to as the promotional marketing graveyard where you go right. to these fabrication shops and there would just be all these vehicles littered around this parking lot that were just worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I thought, well, should this should be like an eBay type yeah, thing yeah. for this. So I tried to do this whole, after reading the four hour work week and all this, I tried to do this whole super complicated sort of automated messaging system thing. And I was like, this is so stupid. I wasted, I think, four or 5,000 bucks. And then I just ended up building a WordPress listing site off, off of a, like a woo themes thing for like yeah, 500 yeah. bucks. And I just listed everything manually. I actually started the business as an email thing. I just got all my contacts together and I started letting people know it was happening. And I said, Hey, if you got anything to list, send it to me, I'll put it out in this email newsletter. So I was generating interest before the website launched even, yeah. and people were into it. So I launched the website and started advertising these vehicles. And it took about 18 months until we brokered our first 
uh, vehicle between agencies. Somebody bought one and we took a commission and negotiated the deal and everything like that. So, um, that sort of coincided with, um, at the same time I sort of side, I was doing business development as a location independent entrepreneur, but I was working full time doing business development for a staffing company, leveraging my contacts in the event space. So that was my full time gig. The event was that a remote eBay, job? For that? You yeah, that was it. remote. So yeah. I started. That's when I started being a digital nomad. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was doing sort of the event thing on the side because it sort of tied in with all my business development conversations. Anyway, it was non-competitive as well. So I talked to my, the guy was, whose business I was building. I was like, hey, this is something I'm working on. I was just honest with him. It doesn't compete like. Uh, you know, I'm going to bring it up sometimes. So was trying to build that. And then on the double side was the zero to travel stuff. Um, That's cool. and then about, I think, I think it's good that you had the regular income as well. You know, a lot of people really underestimate that, you know, cause everybody wants to be this sort of great entrepreneur who goes out and makes money. But if you've got like a guaranteed income and you can work and, and you've got enough free time then that's a great way to start any kind of business, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And after working crazy hours, I met, I sort of reconnected with my, who's now my wife at the time. So I was living in Norway for three months at a time, but the, it was tough to work the U S business hours and Norwegian time. And yeah, so I really wanted to transition out of that and have my own thing. And then, uh, it all happened basically, I think it was a year and a half or two years in, I was just, you know, we, we started a bundle sale, did really well on that, flipped a vehicle and like a whole bunch of things happened in one month. And I, I think I had a goal of making like $40,000 in a month or something. And I think if you took like a 30 day snippet, I like actually achieved that. That's great. And I was like, holy crap. If I like, even though it only happened one time, I'm like, if I can do that one time, even if I don't, can't do that every month, uh, not even close to that, but I could probably make that happen again. Right. Um, is it, is it quite I, like a big, like, so let's say the vehicle sells for $100,000, you take, say, 10%. So is it like a lot of work, but it's a big chunk of money when a vehicle sells? Is that, was that kind of how it worked? I thought it would be a bigger chunk of money. Right. <laughs> I thought I'd be flipping a lot of vehicles, but it didn't end up going that way, and I had to shut down the business. I really thought it was going to take off, but, um, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, I think I did a couple five-figure things, but like low five figures, nothing, yeah. nothing crazy, nothing like life-changing stuff. Sure. So most of your money was still coming through your your sales, your remote sales position. You would yeah, into. business development stuff, absolutely. Cool. So so what was next? That's an interesting uh, transition. So you, yeah, you, the, I mean then it was you know just getting zero to travel going, and then we you know I I hooked up with this guy Travis, who hosts a podcast as well. We both met at a conference. This is where events come in again. Um, we met at a conference called the World Domination Summit, run by Chris Chris Gilbo, and. Um, yeah, I was just like, hey, you're from Philly too? Oh, you have a travel podcast too? And we just started talking and I came to him with this idea for this bundle sale called the Paradise Pack. It ended up being called where we took the best products in online business and travel and put together like one educational bundle for like one week only. Um, and we, so he, we, he, had a, he had an existing podcast you met and then you agreed to work together on the podcast. Yeah, well, we agreed to do this bundle sale. So we right. did it. And this was around the same time. This is this was part of sort of the the magical month where like sort of everything came together yeah. and we did really well on the bundle sale. I flipped the vehicle, you know, I made some commissions from my job, and then I just and then I was getting married like a month or two later, and I just called my my buddy who I was working for at the time. I'm like, dude, I I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm sorry. I just like the flip switched. The yeah. switch flipped, you know? And, um, so yeah, so I did that. So we ended up doing this bundle sale. It, it worked. And then we were like, Oh, we're going to do this again. And then we were like, Oh, well 
we're doing all this work online and we're super lonely. We're so excited. We get to chat with each other because we have somebody to talk to about all this stuff. And I had my mastermind group also, but it was a very small circle of people that we could kind of talk to about this. And then we realized also it was sort of the same problem for the people that got all the educational bundle. They now had everything they needed to dive into, to be location independent, to at least get the skills to, to figure it out but they didn't have any support or anybody to talk to. So then we decided to start the location indie community because we wanted to connect with other people and we wanted to connect other people. So they didn't have that issue of just kind of, it's really hard to work through things on your own. You know, you need the sounding boards, you need the motivation, you need the accountability. And that was the intention behind the community. And then when we opened it up, I think we had like 50 people join the first time we opened it. We're like, Oh, okay. The other people feel the same way. Like this is, this validates our, instinct because we're living this life. We know how lonely it is and other people want to connect too. So it just started taking off from there. Cool. I want to come back to this community, but first of all, I want to ask, because I'm really curious about the World Domination Summit, because I thought about going a few times, not not for a couple of years. I was really into the idea of going, but then I I really had, I had mixed feelings from looking at online. On, On one hand, it looked like a lot of people who were like, you know, really doing stuff. And then on the other hand, it looked like a lot of people who were maybe just dreamers or, you know, wanting to get themselves fired up, but they were never going to do anything. And that's the reason I didn't go. And tell me if I'm wrong, because I, I wasn't sure if it, if it really was. You know, I, I don't need to hang around with successful people, but I like to talk about with people who are doing stuff, you know, getting things going. And I wasn't sure if that was the audience. I'm curious how, how you found it. Yeah. Uh, well, I found Chris's work, uh, The Art of Nonconformity, blog, I think this is, so I went to the very first world domination summit. It's about eight years in now. So, and I've been to a couple of them, but pretty early on. So I can't, can't speak to what the event is right now. And certainly like anything, events change and dynamics change and communities change and all that type of stuff. But it was really this non-conference event that was cool. That was built around this idea of community and it was really a community of people doing stuff and making things happen, whether they were just in the early stages or a little bit further along. And for me, it was right. Just what I needed at that time. And I was probably somebody that you're talking about where I was kind of not looking for inspiration, but just looking to connect with other people doing things and, and kind of trying to figure it out. Um, but there certainly were people there that were doing things at, in various stages. So, um, yeah, I think the tagline is, you know, community, adventure, and service, which was three things that really resonated with me. And I just got so many friends out of that community. I know other people have. And people from that community have gone on to do a lot of great things. I mean, I think Nathan Barry, who founded ConvertKit, he was part of that mix and early on. And other people, I could name a bunch of people that I know that have gone on to do really big things. Um, like, That's cool. And that kind of all met through WDS. So really original idea for an event, I think early on. Now these things seem pretty common, these types of events, but then there wasn't really anything like this. That's true. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny how people come on and off your radar. Cause I used to I used to read his blog a lot. I was, you know, used to, I read it, I bought a couple of his books even, but I haven't even I reckon in the last two years I haven't even seen anything he's done. You know, it's just funny. It was, and that's probably because in the old days it was wasn't many people doing this kind of thing, you know, and that's probably why I was focused on it. But now there's a ton of different people doing it. You've got to really stand out, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's certainly more people sharing it too, yeah. <laughs> you know. Cool. So uh, let's get back to your community. So you started a community. Um, 
that's that's how did that go? Like, I guess you're charging some kind of subscription model and, and having a forum and meetups and stuff. Is that is that? How yeah, you do it? originally it was a forum. Um, we've we've changed it a couple times because we were always trying to find the right platform to connect people. And we we're now on Mighty Networks, which is uh, you can have kind of your own private social network. Right. So we have our own private social network there, and then we have a content area with training, and we have brought in different experts every month for the past years. So there's just a ton of training videos in there on various subjects, online business and travel related. I mean, I think the thing that makes our community unique is it's very much focused around lifestyle business and travel and, and travel being sort of that, that thing we're all building everything else around. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we, we really do work to incorporate the travel element of, of that. It's not just like an online business community, but, sure. um, but yeah, so it's, it's really about accountability and bringing people together. And now we have people doing, uh, I love when I go into the network and see, Hey, here's like five people that just met up in Minneapolis. Like I had no idea. And they were just like, there's a picture of them hanging out or like That's people cool. meeting up all over. And then we started doing our own, um, community gathering. So we did our first one in Denver and we're doing one in Mexico in a couple yeah, of months. Let, let, let's talk about that. How did you get to do your first meetups? I guess, I guess so your first meetups you organized were for Location Indie, not for Zero to Travel podcast. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I'd done meetups before where, you know, we're just, I'll send an email to my list like, Hey, we're all going to go meet at this brewery in Boulder. If anybody listens to the show and it's on this email list and gets this, come and hang yeah. out, you know, and we have a bunch of people come and hang out. So sort of informal. Um, but the first formal thing we did with our community where we sold tickets and everything was in Denver as a Den X. It was a Denver experience. And we had about 30 people come to Denver, uh, over this last fall. And we did some workshopping together and travel stuff together, which is what we love kind of mixing yeah. business and travel. So we decided to do that again and we're doing it in Mexico in a couple months. Uh, actually three, sorry, let's see, and, two and months. Was yeah. it just a meetup? Were you selling tickets or was it just a, fr a free meetup for your members to support the community? No, we did sell tickets because we wanted to have the commitment. You know, we yeah. didn't want to be casual. We wanted to rent a co-working space, do like whiteboard stuff and workshop stuff. We wanted sure. to have some surprises. So we bought everybody tickets to a baseball game. So we went to a baseball game together. We did, you know, prizes and we rented out a brewery and had a welcome party and different things like that. So we needed to have a commitment to people yeah. coming. Although as much as I love sort of the holistic idea of, oh, let's just all agree to meet up. We're all just going to show up and hang out in a park or something. <laughs> you know, I think it takes the, the investment for people to commit and then Definitely. we can really see, all right, yeah. what can we build around this? You know, I did a blog post on that. Like if you, if you, if they're trying to work out the dropout rate for free events is hard, but it's, it's really high. I mean, I've done events, free events where as much as 80% of people didn't turn up, you know, whereas if right. people pay even $10 for an event, they'll, they'll almost always come to it. Yeah, totally. It's just, you got some skin in the game, right? Yeah. So, um, and we have just done that for our community. So we just, again, wanting to bring people together in, in real life and get people from that are interacting in the social network and online and on the Zoom calls and all the stuff that we do monthly. All right, we see these faces on the computer. Let's use the computer as a tool and get together in real life and then really solidify those relationships. That's cool. So uh, why did you choose Mexico then? What was the reason? Because a lot of people doing events in Asia, but there's a few. I actually talked to a guy the other week, really interesting guy um, who runs a big event in, in Acapulco called Anarchapulco for anarchists. They have 4,500 people come. Really, really interesting <laughs> nice. guy. But uh, why did you choose Mexico? What was the reason behind that? 
<laughs> well, a few reasons. Some of it personal. Is, you want it to go to? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I I have two kids now, and my family's based in the states, so we wanted to spend some time in the states. And Mexico's pretty close. It's warm yeah. during the winter. There's so many great places to go. And my business partner kind of threw it out on the network. Like we we were so amped up after the first meetup and just getting to see everybody interact and help each other out that we were just kind of jumped the gun a little bit. I'm like, hey, we're going to do this again. And we're going to, we just kind of threw out Mexico. Cause we're like, let's yeah. go to Mexico. And people were into it. And they were like, oh, now we got to figure this out. <laughs> so yeah. I got to give a shout out to one of our community members, Ray, who runs a website called livelingua.com. It's a huge language learning website. And um, he lives down in a town called Querétaro, which is uh, this sort of up and, I wouldn't say up and coming, but it's a town that most people haven't gone. I actually just saw on uh, Lonely Planet published an article that it was one of the top 10 up and coming digital nomad cities or something, but yep. I had never heard of it. And I've never heard of it ever. Interesting. Yeah. He's been living down there for a while and he was, uh, we jumped on a call with him and he was telling me all about it and some of the different things we could do. And we were looking at Mexico city and some other places and we're like, all right, we don't have a lot of time. And Ray like totally sold me on this town and he lives there and he's like, oh yeah, I could reservations here and get these buses to come pick us up, take us on this hike and all this stuff. So we're like, let's just do it there. And I liked that it was kind of a place that people didn't really know. Uh, we were looking at beach towns and things like that, but it was all built up. And yeah. we're just like, let's just do something totally different that we don't know anything about. And that we'll, it's kind of right up our alley in terms of a, a destination, right? We like to go to those places that are are something we haven't really heard too much about that a lot of people aren't going to. So we're just going to all go together and <laughs> see what it's about, man. We're renting a big huge house, a colonial style house. And we're raised to have some, uh, like in-person classes cause he ran a Spanish language school down there for a while. And we're going to live in this house and everybody's going to gather at this house and we're going to do all the co-working stuff there. And then we're going to explore in between. It's going to be awesome. Cool. Yeah. Please send me the, send me the information about this house. I'd love to book something like that for some different things I'm doing unrelated, but that sounds like a cool place. I, I like the sound of that. Yeah, I'll let you know how it goes when we get down there. I think yeah, it's, yeah. It looks pretty yeah. dope. Actually, wait till you've done it in case you said it. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. You know, it doesn't have cold showers and, you know, no. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's going to be nice. It's funny with um, with travel. Do you think it's like some people have just got like got it in their DNA? Because it's weird. Like, me and my wife, were both really similar. Like, we love to travel. Like, I, I get, you know, I, I can get stressed if I travel too much, but my normal situation is like, if I don't travel for a month or two, like I want to go somewhere, you know? And like, okay. we, we do, I'm lucky that we run events with my company, Apps Events. You know, we run events all around the world, but you know, I honestly, I just, I justify going to the events where I want to go to the country. It's not usually by what's the most relevant, what's the most earning or best contacts to meet. Like, you know, we're, we're doing Mongolia, uh, and Nepal next year. And I'm like, right. man, I've never been to Mongolia and I want to go back to Nepal. So like, I'm going there. Like I've told everyone, you know, I need to be there. But I don't really, you know, no. <laughs> someone else could go, but I just, well, have, so do, do you think it's people, do you just have it in you? Like, cause that's how I see it. I, I just like, I love to travel, but I've got plenty of friends who are not like that. Or, or, or do you think it's different people, you know, you, you, you go to one or two places and you, you get a taste for it and you want to do it more. How, how do you think it is with people? I'm going to answer that question in, in a second, but first I just want to kind of point out, pull out something you said, Dan. Yeah. I think it's such a huge point Please. because you're like, you know, I just want to go to Mongolia. Like, isn't that a lot of the fun around yeah. having a business like this where you're like, 
oh, well, that I don't think that's selfish at all. That's like, hey, it's your business. Like, pick <laughs> the things that are going to be fun, you know, yeah, maybe and right. go there. And like, I think that's a really exciting thing. Like for anybody listening to this, it's like, I think sometimes it can get lost, even if we're running a successful business where you're like, I remember I met with a, an entrepreneur recently in Oslo and um, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this, you know, podcasting workshops. I'm really interested in helping other podcasters and just trying something different. And she's like, oh yeah, that sounds awesome. She's like, isn't it so cool? Like when you're an entrepreneur, you can just like make up a thing and do it because yeah. you think it's fun. And I was like, oh yeah, thanks for the reminder. That's yeah, yeah. totally true. Like I kind of, you sometimes get wrapped up in the day to day and you forget, oh, well, you can just, you can just create something. doesn't mean it's always going to work, yeah. but you can sure have a lot of fun. So anyway, I thought that was really cool. Like, hell yeah, go to Mongolia. Why yeah. not? Yeah, you know? <laughs> definitely. Have you, been, have you been, by the way, to Mongolia? No, I would yeah. love to go. That's definitely on my bucket list for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yes, travel in you. I, I've wondered about this. I don't know if you've ever seen that article where they supposedly had a found a travel gene really? in, in your no, genetic code, code or something. Um, I can't quote it or speak to it intelligently, so I'm not going to try. And who knows if it's true, but... I think I think it's an interesting question because it, it everybody's probably going to answer that different. I don't think there's one correct answer that oh, okay, yeah, it's something that's in you and it's 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 like kind of like one of those nature versus nurture questions, yeah. right? Like if you're like suppressed in your hometown yeah. your whole life and you want to break out, you know, well I mean a lot of people find themselves in their hometowns and maybe dreaming of other places, but they don't all go somewhere or make it happen, even though, and I understand there are certain circumstances and where I'm not speaking to the, you know, most of the world's population that sure, live on $2 yeah. a day. First I'm talking about somebody that owns an <laughs> iPhone and is listening to this yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, but that's, that's kind of a given. I think, um, some of it's shaped around the experiences you have growing up and I think how, how much you're exposed to it or adventure, but I've also talked to a lot of people that hadn't done much traveling growing up and I hadn't either, but the times I did, the times I went on camping trips or different things like that, there was this sort of inner thing, like it meant more to me for some reason. And I had, I had this inner feeling. So I do think if I was going to give a general answer and this can't go for hundred percent of the population, of course, but I do think with certain people, there is some kind of inner feeling that compels them to travel. And what I think it is, it ultimately, it ends up being people that it's somehow tied to their level of curiosity, right? If curiosity is a big component of their person personality or is built into their genetic code, travel is sort of the most natural extension to that, right? Like what sure. more can we do besides to fulfill our curiosity besides try to explore our entire world and find out everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Like, cause you know, I, I think I've got a lot of friends who like everybody says, you know, if you go somewhere cool, everyone's, everyone says they're jealous and says they want to do it. But most people given the opportunity probably wouldn't go there. You know, even if you said like, here's a ticket, they, a lot of people just find reasons not to go. You know, it's like, I think mentally people want to go, but a lot of people, maybe they're scared or they, I don't know, like maybe it's a sense of adventure, maybe it's just, you know, anxiety. I'm not sure, but a lot of people, I've seen people with the opportunities who, who do anything to get out of it in, at the last minute, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some fears there that can come into play for sure. And you can blame a lot of things on that. But ultimately, yeah. um, I, I think, yeah, the the fear and then then there's the other sort of personality type where they're not, they're just not prioritizing it. It's saying, oh, well, you 
oh, well, you know, I can't really make it happen because I have this, that, and the other. But they're they're looking at those things as excuses rather than as challenges to overcome because when yeah. they want that boat or that other thing, they make it happen. It's so true. Yeah, it's how much true. do you really want it? You know, And it's true. There's, there's also a, a whole group of people who value – uh, experiences over possessions or, or vice versa, you know? Right. And I've been very much about the experiences, not, not the possessions. I mean, you know what? I, I mean, I own properties now and, you know, I'm getting older and you want to build some stability for, my, for your life. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of weird to me because I was never like that before. I mean, I, I really like, even in my early 30s, all my possessions fitted in a car, you know? Like, right. <laughs> I didn't have anything yeah. else. And that was fairly, deli- I guess it was maybe subconscious, but it was like, probably deliberate, I think. Yeah, I think some of that comes through experience too. Like growing up in in the states when I did, I mean certainly there's this consumer culture, there's no doubt about it, right? So for me touring, I had never lived out of just a suitcase and a little backpack, you know? And then all of a sudden I found myself 8 months out of the year, 10 months out of the year just having everything I owned with me. Now if I didn't have that experience, would I have the same mindset today? I mean, I can't say that. I, I don't sure. know. But I do know that I very quickly fell in love with this idea of just not having a lot of stuff because that just felt way more natural of, of sort of a way to live. Um, it just felt easier and lighter and better sure. in many ways. Now, I was forced into that experience because of my job. Would I have done that voluntarily? Uh, probably, I guess, if I'd gone traveling and which I wanted to do anyway. But not everybody gets forced into that situation. So, you know, this is one of those things that I love to talk about, Dan, is the transition people make from traditional, like you, you, you do this as well. You talk about the transition from employee to entrepreneur. It sounds like that's a big thing that you talk about. For me, it's the transition from whatever your life sort of regular, if you want to call it life situation to long-term or full-time travel, because people see, talk a lot about the travel experiences and all the things that happen on the road, but that journey before the journey leading up to like setting yourself up for long-term travel or a gap year, whatever it is, there's so much value in that. And that's a real journey of discovery because now you're, you're forced to answer all these big questions about your life, right? You're like, should I, should I actually quit my job and do this? How important is this job to me? What things should I keep, you know, in storage that are worth paying for? Should I get rid of all my stuff? Do I even want to live here? You know, like, am I supposed to be with this person I'm with? You know, all these things just tie in. So planning a big trip or a long-term trip, is life changing in many ways. And you could almost argue if you're, if you are planning on taking off for an extended period of time and you're really set up somewhere, there's as much value or more in all the things leading up to that trip than maybe even on the trip itself, or at least in a different way. Sure. And it's interesting that, I mean, it obviously changes at different stages of your life as well. If you, if you're someone like, like us who likes traveling, because you know, now I'm at the stage, I mean, I used to, I used to travel probably, at least six months, six to nine months of a year, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be on the road, you know. Yeah. But, I, but I found that I, I was a person I liked to have a home base. At certain times, I didn't have a home base, and I didn't like it. It was weird because my life was no different when I, I was still traveling all the time. But the fact that I knew I had an apartment that I owned back in Prague was just, I don't know why, but I, like, I liked it, you know. Sure. Um, but then now, I think we're at a stage where a lot of people, are, I don't know what the phrase is for it, but like, you know, we, we're spending and we're planning to spend like a few months in one place and come back to Prague. And like next year, we're going to go to Asia for three months. We've got a, we've got a place in the Alps in Austria, you know, we're going to go there for a month in the winter. So like, you know, nice. traveling, but, but then kind of basing ourselves in a few places, Slow which travel. is an interesting model people are doing now as well. Slow travel. Slow travel. Yeah. I guess that's that. fair. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. I mean, like you're always, I, I used to 
be terrified of the idea of having a home base. Now, I, I, you know, even when I bought the place in Boulder, which is a place that I absolutely love and one of my favorite places on the planet in Colorado, I was still associating at that time having possessions or having a place with sort of negative feelings around, oh, this is going to prevent me from travel or somehow limit me. And then I had to sort of flip my mindset and say, well, hey, look, this is like, this is setting me up in in a different way. And, um, you know, I just had to look at it in a different way and understand that and how that that sort of possession or thing was going to fit into my lifestyle and fuel it. And now I've changed and I have a family now and I really value having a base and in Oslo and having that place in Colorado and trying to, you know, rent that out and keep it there and and still have ties there. And it just doesn't, I don't have the same feelings towards that stuff because I've changed, but I I also don't think it's, if you do it right, it's not, you know, if you're scared, it's going to impede on your travels or what I'm also not as actually, I don't want to be nomadic now, yep. you know, I'm, I did that. I want to help other people that want to do it, do sure. it, but I don't, but which is perfect and ironic because in order to do that and put all the amount of time I need to, to like put all this content out, it's really hard to do that when you're nomadic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because so, I've gone through a lot of phases and it might change. You might find in 10 years you want it, you want to be nomadic again and because now it's, you know, the scenes sure. change. It's not just people in their 20s doing it. You know, I know a couple of, I mean, you, you probably know a lot more than me, but I know at least two families who are pretty much fully nomadic, you know, with the kids and stuff as well. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, there are tons of families doing it. And it's not for everybody, but um, it's certainly for some people, you know. Now, I'm curious, like, what, you, you're doing a lot of stuff. Like, what does your, I love finding out people's workflow. and Like, what does your week look like? Like, tip, describe to me, like, where do you work? Do you, do you work a structured day? Like, what projects do you work on? I'm trying to think, like, because you're doing all these different things. You've got a couple of podcasts. You know, you're doing blog content. You've got a community. You're doing events. Like, what, what do you work on and, and how do you work? Kind of a big question. Isn't this the hardest thing yeah. to, to figure out, yeah. right? I think... Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm sure you haven't got all the answers, but I'm just curious. Like, I love, <laughs> I love hearing from other people. Like, what are, how, do they, you know, how do they structure their week, for example? One thing I miss is having a more... I shouldn't say... I, I, another thing I feared was having routines. You know, part of the allure of being a touring professional for so long was that even though we were setting up the same event and there were certain things that were the same, you're always in a different place. Things were always different. So... I didn't, I like spontaneity. I did, I never liked kind of having that many set routines, but now that I live somewhere, there are certain elements of routines that I enjoy. And I mean, you've probably heard about the five minute journal and all these different sure. things where you can set up your daily.
Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing